If you would, open up your copies of God's Word to the book of Romans. We are going to be meditating on a portion of Scripture from Romans chapter 12. We're going to be meditating tonight on Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, 9 through the end of the chapter. But uh, what I'd like to do um, is start from, we're going to read the entire chapter. I'd like to start from verse 1. That'll give you a greater sense of the context. I'm already parachute dropping you in two-thirds of the way through the book. At least you'll get a little bit better sense of the context. You'll see in this portion of God's Word uh, that He wants to speak to us about love, about Christian love. With that said, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. This is God's holy, inspired, and infallible Word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in portion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask for your help. On the one hand, we would look at this scripture and say, ah, it's easy. And then on the other hand, Lord, uh, when confronted with your word and our own hearts, we see that uh, it can be very difficult. Lord, would you speak to us this, your word? Would you search us? Would you apply this word to each of our contexts? Lord, you know where we are, and we're counting on you to give us instruction. Your word says it is a light to our feet. We would ask that you would bring that light in our lives Lord, would you light our feet, our paths? Would you show us what we ought to do? Would you hear our prayer and help us to understand this text? Lord, we would ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. How are you supposed to love? How should you love God? How should you love the people in this church How are you supposed to love the people around you in the world? Those people that are at your school, uh, those people that are at your work, people who are out there in society. Some people uh, don't make it easy, do they? God put this one guy in my life that made loving him so difficult. And I saw this guy on a regular basis, and he was cordial enough. He would, he would wave, and he would give me the head nod, you know, as we passed. Um, like I said, he, he was cordial enough. He was super nice to my wife, but boy, I couldn't seem to win this guy's favor, and I tried. I tried. He just wasn't very friendly with me. Uh, I tried to make conversation, and no matter, it seems like no matter what, he would push back. I would pick a topic that was the most non-controversial subject in the world, and he would always seem to find a way to disagree. Or maybe he just didn't like my face. I don't know what it was. I, I, I still don't know what it was. Some people are hard to love. Some people are hard to love. And when someone treats you disrespectfully, your pride comes right to the surface, doesn't it? How are we to love? How are we to love the church? And how are we to love the world? These are the questions our text addresses. In this passage, the Apostle Paul seeks to persuade believers to love the Lord, the church, and their enemies You see, you should reflect the love of Christ. And you can see that this text is about love even from the very first verses. You see that you should reflect Christ-like love for the Lord. That's where we're going to start tonight. That's our first heading. Reflect Christ-like love for the Lord. Well, I think we all know Christians should have a Christ-like love for God. In verse 9, Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. And he reminds us who we're serving, if you look there at the verse, at the end of verse 11. Paul says what? Serve the Lord. This is the beginnings of how to serve the Lord. It's how you should love him. Your love for God should be genuine. It should be without hypocrisy. Your love for God between you and between him when you're all alone, it should be honest. It should be full of integrity. It should be authentic. And Paul makes an immediate application with two strong strong statements, doesn't he? Look what he says. He says, abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. You're to avoid whatever is evil and cling to whatever is good. You're to hate one thing and you're to love the other. You're supposed to hate evil. And when Paul says to abhor evil, he's using one of the strongest words for hatred found in the Bible. This word doesn't um, carry with it the idea of mere displeasure or dislike. Paul is commanding you to loathe evil. He says that you should hate evil. Scripture is calling you to be Christ-like a person after God's own heart. The Bible is clear. God hates evil. He hates evil. And when you see sin and evil, you should know it is an unveiled assault on the character of your God. And just as you're to despise what's evil, you're to hold fast to what is good. The term translated hold fast is the root of the Greek word for glue. You're to cling to what is good. You're to be attached to it. You're to allow it to be cemented to your soul and become part of you. But you might ask, how am I supposed to do that? How can I change my will? How can I be Christ-like and love God? Where am I supposed to get this kind of strength? How can I change my will, my, my desire? And those are great questions to ask because we're not talking about love that is produced by the power of your will. The Christian life of love is a supernatural life, and that's crucial for you to admit. It's humbling. Left to ourselves, we can't love the way the Bible tells us to love. If we could, love wouldn't be a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It would be a fruit of our personality or our upbringing. That's not the case God works in us in a supernatural way to bear the fruit of love. Scripture is clear that believers undergo a supernatural transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit renews our minds and changes our hearts. 
He empowers our wills and changes our desires. He enables us to embrace Christ as Savior. And he doesn't just do this at the beginning of the Christian life. The Spirit continues to be our source of power and transformation. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we enter the process of sanctification. And that's the process of God molding us into the character and image of Christ. He would transform you so that you love like Jesus loves. In verse 11, Paul says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Paul says, don't be lazy. You see, there's no time for spiritual slothfulness. Serve the Lord with all your heart. Love him. Be fervent in spirit. To be fervent in spirit is to be aglow. It's to be burning. It's to be set ablaze. It's to be on fire. It's to be zealous for the Lord. That's how Jesus loved the Father, isn't it? Isn't that the way he did it? With zeal. Do you remember when he fashioned the whip and he overturned the tables of the money changers? We heard a sermon about that just recently. And the Gospel of John says that when the disciples saw this, they remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Follow Jesus' example. Have a zealous love for the Lord. What should that zeal of yours look like? Verse 12 says it should rejoice in hope, that it should be patient in tribulation. It says that it should be constant in prayer. Paul mentions three things. First, you should rejoice in hope. Rejoice is a faith-filled anticipation. It's an abiding conviction that the Lord will fulfill his promises. It's an abiding conviction that his word is true and that you can trust it and believe it. And he says, be patient in tribulation. Be patient when things get tough. Do you remember how patient Job was in the midst of his tribulation? Amid his tremendous suffering, he cried, Though you slay me, yet will I trust. How? How? How can I possibly do this when the pain is so great? Be constant in prayer. That's what Paul says, be constant in prayer. What does that mean to be constant in prayer? It's talking about living in God's presence. Have you heard that Latin term, quorum Deo, uh, before the face of God? We are to live in his presence. We are to live knowing that he is here even now. He hears my voice. He hears your thoughts everywhere you go. There he is. Live in his presence. Strive to always be aware of his presence. Walk in faith. Be constant in prayer. Don't become laser focused on yourself 
and on your problems. Stop looking at yourself and look to God for your needs. You should always be conscious of your dependence upon God. Ask for strength. Remember, 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 God is your power provider. Love the Lord by showing that you trust Him and by showing that you rely upon Him. Reflect Christ-like love for the Lord. And loving the Lord means loving His people. You should reflect Christ-like love for the church. That's our second heading. Reflect Christ-like love for the church. As you look at verse 9 and following, you'll see that the passage isn't just about loving God. It's also about loving your brothers and sisters in the church. Paul says that Christians ought to love one another, that they ought to contribute to one another, that they ought to show hospitality to one another, and that they ought to come alongside of one another in their joys and in their sorrows. In verse 10, he says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Paul uses a word here that combines the word for friendship love and family love. You see, the church is more. It's more than just your friends. More than just your friends. Your family. This is your family. Don't distance yourself. Don't distance yourself. Get close. Stay close. Scripture says that you've been adopted. You see, we share a family name. We share the same family name. The love we have for one another in the church is to be the same kind of love that we experience in good family. Affection, concern, loyalty, devotion, commitment, patience, and understanding. Can we be understanding? Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo translates a Greek word which normally means to take the lead. You're to show the way or take the lead in honoring. This is like Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 3, which says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You see, this is a call to humility. It's about being kind. It's about being considerate of others, about honoring others. We must demonstrate a spirit of humility. That is the heart of a servant. It's the heart of a Christian. It's the heart of Christ. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This isn't easy though, is it? 
It's not always easy. Some people are tough to love. Maybe that's why Paul says to be fervent in zeal and to focus on serving the Lord. And and he says to be patient in tribulation, doesn't he? And he says to focus on, on serving, to be constant in prayer. Again, the Christian life of love is a supernatural life. We can't love the way the Bible tells us to love without the transforming power of the Spirit coming in and doing that, empowering us. Enabled by God, you can do things you would have never imagined possible. You can love the way Paul describes here in verse 13. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You see, love is generous. It helps those in need. Christians should meet the needs of other Christians. There was a period in my life in seminary where my wife and I became unemployed for quite a long period of time, and we were watching like all of our bank accounts shrink to nothing, 401k go, tax returns go, um, everything was uh, coming uh, to empty. And when you're in need, it's humbling. Life gets very challenging when you start to run out of money. And I remember, I remember we would start to just receive unsolicited cards in the mail. Some of them would have return addresses. Others would arrive completely anonymous, but we would open these cards and there would be checks and there would be cash in them. And we were so touched by the generosity of the church. You see, when you meet the need of someone who is vulnerable, you touch their lives in a special way, in a special way. Another way to meet someone's need is through hospitality. Sure, hospitality often fills the need of filling the belly, supplying a meal, and giving a a place for someone to sleep, but it also meets the need of developing close friendships, developing the need for community. It provides for an opportunity to grow a loving bond between people, and that's what we need. That is what we need. It provides the opportunity for Christians to share with one another, to confide in one another, to confess to one another, to pray for one another. This is how God would have us to love one another. He wants us to come alongside of one another. Consider what Paul says in verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. If one weeps, we should all weep. And we see that when Lazarus dies. When Jesus came to the home of Mary and Martha, he knew what he was going to do. He knew that Lazarus would be raised from the dead, but the Bible tells us that he wept. Isn't that what it says? Jesus wept with those who weep. 
And we're supposed to do the same. Sometimes it's very difficult to come alongside of someone who is suffering, someone who is in pain, someone who is weeping. And that's because we have the false impression that we need to arrive at the doorstep with a speech in tow. But you don't need to have a speech. You don't have to have magic words to make their tears go away. You don't have to say anything. You just have to be there. And if they cry, you weep with them. Sharing in someone's joy should be the same. No envy, no jealousy, just smiles and hugs and the recognition that all good things come from God. Isn't that what we hear in James 1.17? Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And verse 16 continues, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You see, love sympathizes and it associates with everyone. And that's because love casts off pride. Paul says, live in harmony. He's saying, be of one mind. You see, there's no room for snobbery. There's no room for cliques. Embrace everyone that the Lord calls to himself. Paul also says, never be wise in your own eyes. Listen. Listen. Be teachable. Be teachable. Be reasonable. Be humble. Emulate the character of the Lord Jesus. Love like him. And that means loving the church and even your enemies. You should reflect Christ-like love for enemies. That's our third heading. Reflect Christ-like love for enemies. In our text, Paul is going to make a shift. Paul shifts from talking about loving the church to loving your enemies. His focus begins to change at verse 14, and by verse 17, he's completely made the transition. In this section, Paul addresses how you should respond to your enemies. You know that uh, the life of the apostle Paul was rough. He was a missionary, and he was a church planner, and he, as he was doing this ministry, uh, was always under some persecution, just as the Lord had been. And Paul points us to Jesus in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul echoes Jesus's sermon on the mount. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Scripture says to respond to persecution by blessing your enemies, not cursing them. But it's one thing to refrain from cursing your enemies, and it's an entirely different thing to pray for their blessing. This is otherworldly thinking. This is divine love. 
I know a couple who, who put this into practice. The woman worked at a large corporation, and um, her boss had it in for her. Uh, he, her boss, was living uh, an openly ungodly life, and he knew she was a Christian. And so when they were outside of the work, he let her know what he thought. He looked her right in the eye, and he said, I don't like you. And um, as the weeks and months ensued, he did not make her life easy. And sometimes she would come home to her husband in tears, in tears over, over the things that were said, over the things that had happened. And do you know what they did? They prayed for her boss and their family worship. And it wasn't easy. But praying for him recalibrated their hearts and their minds. Praying for him brought perspective. It brought clarity. And it brought humility. And it laid the problem at the Lord's feet who has the ability to protect his people and to provide them with the power to follow in his footsteps. And power from above is needed to restrain yourself when you are being persecuted. In verse 17, Paul writes, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And when we're hurt and offended, what are we prone to say? It's payback time. What goes around comes around. Guess whose turn it is now. When someone hurts us, we want to get even, but we don't want to just get even. We want to take it up a notch. Let's be honest. We want them to be sorry they even ever thought of hurting us. And our culture has a phrase they talk about sweet revenge, don't they? Ah, sweet revenge. But the Scripture says there's nothing sweet about it. Scripture says there's nothing sweet about it. You're simply repaying evil with evil. Christians should demonstrate divine love. You're to abhor what is evil. Scripture says do what is honorable. Do what is honorable. The Greek word, which is rendered into English as honorable, suggests moral beauty. When you suffer evil, you should respond in ways that are morally beautiful. You're to respond in peace so far as it depends on you. That's what Paul says in verse 18. In fact, he says... If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He gives peace a double qualification, doesn't he? And that's because it takes more than one person to live in peace. Sometimes peace escapes us because of someone else. But so far as it depends on you, live peaceably. Does this mean you must always bite your tongue that you can never and should never stand your ground? 
Of course not. Of course not. Uh, Jesus wasn't a doormat, and neither was the Apostle Paul. This text doesn't nullify your responsibility to keep the ninth commandment. Right? The ninth commandment. Thou shalt, shalt not lie. You have a responsibility to uphold the truth. It doesn't nullify your responsibility to do that. But be cautious. Be cautious. Use wisdom. Use wisdom. You mustn't. You mustn't be quarrelsome. If possible, live peaceably. Living peaceably can be hard when you're injured. When a person is severely wounded, they can begin to harbor bitterness and resentment. And if they are unwilling to forgive and peace seems impossible, temptation arises to settle the score with the people who've hurt us. Paul forbids this and he offers a better path. In verse 19, he writes, Beloved, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, it's not our place to retaliate against enemies. We're not allowed to be vigilantes. Instead, we must leave room for God to respond to sin. God is just, and he does avenge evil. In verse 20, Paul continues to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. See, Christians are called to bless those who persecute us, to love their enemies. But what are you supposed to do about that phrase about the burning coals? It almost sounds as though like you're doing some backhanded thing, like, hey, just be nice to them, because if you're nice to them, it'll add judgment, and then we'll get them on the back end. Is that, is that what Paul, you know that that's not what he's suggesting. Most interpreters believe the coals of fire are a metaphor for shame. When believers treat their enemies with kindness, it can cause their enemies to become ashamed of their actions, and this may lead to their repentance. Do you remember when um, Saul was trying to kill David, right? And he's chasing him around everywhere. But you remember what happened? There was the time when Saul came into the cave, didn't know David was in there. And then there was another time where Saul was sleeping on the ground and David could have pinned him to the ground, the scripture said, but he, he didn't. I won't lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. And what was the reaction of Saul to this good deed he saw in David? He wept, didn't he? And he recognized it publicly before everyone. You are good, David. And I, uh, he, it, you are showing me uh, my sin. And it brought him to tears. Paul says that we're called to love our enemies. That's why in verse 21, he says, do not be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by it, but overcome evil with good. This was the strategy that Jesus employed. 
and you're called to follow him. Jesus overcame evil by loving God and by loving his enemies. The Bible says that each one of us, that each one of us were born enemies of God. And that's because we are sons and daughters of our father, Adam. We're all born in original sin. In fact, the Bible says that we are born dead in trespasses and sins and that the wage of sin is death. But God wanted to save a people for himself. So Jesus humbled himself and he came and did what they couldn't do. He kept the law on behalf of his enemies and he went to the cross on behalf of their sins. Romans 5.10 says that Jesus reconciled his people to God while they were still enemies. Jesus overcame evil and achieved the highest good, our redemption. And he offers forgiveness of sin for everyone who would embrace him as Savior and as Lord. And as we look at this passage, we see that Scripture calls us to love God, to love the church, and to love our enemies. And as we look at this text, and then we begin to look at our own lives, we see how we fail. And as we see our failure... We look to the cross. We look to the one who didn't fail. To the one who loved you perfectly. And we worship. And we praise God that salvation does not come through law-keeping, but through faith in Jesus who kept the law perfectly on our behalf. And as we look to the Lord Jesus, we hear his voice. And what did he say? He said, what? He said, follow me. Follow me. Brothers and sisters, you are called to follow him. You're called to be Christ-like. You're called to reflect the love of Christ. Reflect Christ-like love for the Lord, the church, and for enemies. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, as we've reflected on these things, we've acknowledged that if we can love just in and of ourselves, the kind of love we need wouldn't be a fruit of the Spirit. And so we would come before you acknowledging that we are in need of you. Lord, you have clearly commanded us that we are to love like you. And you know that we don't have the ability in and of ourselves. And so we would cry out to you. Lord, would you help us? Would you fill us with affection for you? That we would desire to pray. That we would love your word that we would love the church. And Lord, you know how it is that we need the ability to look past sin and to forgive. And we need to be willing to spend of our others and do the thing that just seems so opposite to our nature, to count others as more important than ourselves. Lord, would you come around us and equip us We know your will for our lives is that we would be sanctified. And so we know that your will 
is that we grow in holiness. And so we would lay ourselves before you, asking that you would take us, that you would fill us, that you would equip us to do what you have called us to do. Lord, would you continue to shape us, that we would look like you, that we would speak like you, that we would think like you, that we would love like you. Lord, we would ask all these things for your glory's sake. We'd ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.